Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back to The Advertising Show. It's being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at age.com. Advertising Show, a big radio midgets production with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. And a very uh, special guest today, his name is Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine. Uh, Chris uh, actually hooked up with Wired back in 01, and since then he's led the magazine to five National Magazine Award nominations, winning the prestigious, the prestigious brand, prize for a general excellence in 05, a year in which he was also named as editor of the year by Advertising Age magazine. So I'm sure he gets that magazine too, right? Yeah. Exactly. So it'll be fun to talk with Chris. We've got him for three segments here on the Advertising Show. Jeffrey Gittimer in uh, just a few moments. Um, his topic today, Brad, is not doing it. Not doing it. No. Sounds like a George Bush kind of a thing. Not no. doing it. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Meyer, uh, Pillars Shaking, and we'll find out what that's all about uh, later on in the show today. So how are you doing? Well, doing great. Great. Uh, how about you? Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, coming out of San Francisco, Ray, this is uh, interesting. I, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see this. Traveler's Insurance has launched its third campaign under the new tagline, Insurance in Sync. And you may recall the first two uh, ads uh, featured an unprepared boxer as well as an inventor with a great idea, but in both cases, bad execution. Mm-hmm. Snowball is the title of this particular campaign. shows a man walking the streets of San Francisco, which is where Chris is today. And uh, Exactly he, what you're talking about. Have you seen the spot? spot. Yeah. Oh, it is. The man trips and falls, and the next thing you know, uh, he begins to run into other things, and it be- creates this snowball effect. As if uh, a rolling stone gathers the right? Yes, yes. And uh, from a, a bride and groom in a car, it gets swept up with this, and it goes on and on. To the spot eventually ends where uh, the ball is breaking apart after it's hitting a building, presumably, I would imagine, signifying traveler's insurance, along with the uh, voiceover saying, when you have insurance mm-hmm. that stays in sync, yeah. you can roll with anything. Right. Uh, uh, ad launched uh, last month up here in uh, network primetime as well as early morning and network spots. Fallon, of course, we had Pat Fallon on Pat Fallon, uh, the right, show exactly. uh, about a month ago. Fallon, Minneapolis, created the campaign, and Starlink handled the media buying. But it's an outstanding uh, spot. And, you know, in the beginning when I first saw it, I thought, this is pretty uh, dramatic here. And I'm not sure how this is, you know, yeah. this it, it's almost... Uh, I don't know, a bit tragic in the beginning. And then, of course, it oh, has a very strange yeah, and tragic. It has yeah. a good ending because right. everybody gets up, they dust themselves off, and right. walk away from all of this. But uh, it is a very cool spot, very well executed, and very realistic, I my, should say. My, yeah, really. I don't know how they did that. Of course, obviously, they've got good stuff to uh, create that. My only problem with the spot is that I've seen it too many times. Is that right? I was watching uh, golf a couple of weekends ago. Mm-hmm. It was on over and over wow. and over and over. It's like, okay, I don't want to see the spot yeah. anymore. That's interesting. I, uh, you would think people that watch golf are long, long viewers. They're not in and out of that program, and therefore frequency wouldn't <laughs> even, not be. Even between dozing, right? I didn't yeah. see it until I went online to, to check it out, actually. Really? So, yeah, I have never seen this well, spot. whoever on. bought their media, they spent a whole bunch of money because yeah. maybe it's playing all over the place. Starlink, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, but, it, but you're absolutely right. It's a great spot. Love yeah. the techn- technological aspects of it as well. Fallon's a great agency. Exactly. Pro- uh, product maker, uh, product makeovers annoy people. Mm-hmm. Do, does it bother you when people change a, a label or a look or something like that on, um, on a product? Only, you know, only when I'm attached to it. In most cases, if it's a package makeover, 
It's probably a dying product that needs to, you know, needs re- to generate. Reach. Yeah, there's a there's a guy uh, featured in I forget what it is. I think it's Business 2.0 magazine that uh, that does that. He he. Uh, Re, re redoes things like he did. Oh. He redid the uh, the goldfish uh, guy, you know, mm-hmm. from the goldfish thing, and, sure. and a whole bunch of other ones. It's kind of interesting. I need to show that to you as well. A- anyway, Abby Cyberman, what a great name of Akron, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, probably the only Abby Cyberman in Cyberman in Akron that has a pet peeve that perhaps you share. Cyberman can't stand when manufacturers or products uh, change the look of the bottle or container frequently. Are they uh, changing formulas, making the bottles smaller, keeping the same price? Probably so, or just trying to look fresh. Uh, he says I like using the products but sometimes when i need more i can't find them mm. on the shelves anymore and then uh, when i see them again months later the product is exactly the same but the bottle design has been tweaked so well he's obviously buying the wrong products because these are all losers that are in need of rejuvenation <laughs> he so needs, what, he needs. who is this guy i mean my goodness he's just a guy basically yeah. so now, what does it say? Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Beamer. His name is Beamer. That's yeah. funny. Said a typical year, 25 to 28% of consumers, uh, his firm interviews, say they have the same frustration about consumer packaging that Cyberman has, often half of them buying something else, he says. Wow. How odd. If you, you know, if you like something, I mean, so what if they change the packaging? Well, and they, they only change it if they need to, like, you know, try to jazz it up a bit in order to bring in new market, new market appeal, and then you're not going to take an established product or even a product that's on the upswing, no. yeah. like Axe deodorant, that they've done very well with that. You're not going to, you're not going to fool your, your people and try to change the product around. So Let's take a listen to uh, Jeffrey Ginnemer here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. My third from the next book is going to be titled, You Already Know What to Do, You're Just Not Doing It. You know, salespeople are the smartest people in the world. I go from audience to audience. They all have one common theme among them. Everybody already knows everything, you included. Problem is, you're just not doing it. You know, there's a big difference between knowing and doing. As you go through this little lesson, or as you go through any lesson or any seminar, and somebody makes a point or a statement that's worthwhile, don't tell yourself, I know that. Rather, ask yourself, how good am I at that? You see, that question will lead you to learning. That question will lead you to understanding. And that question will lead you to take the action you already know you should be taking. Lessons in time management, in my opinion, are a waste of time. You already know what to do. You even know when to do it. What you need is a lesson in procrastination, or lessons in higher self-image so you'll take the action, or a lesson in fear of rejection. Act now. You already know what to do. You're just not doing it. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer, reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, 
It may be because your ad sucks. It's uh, Jeffrey and Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show, about to bring on Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief at Wired Magazine. And uh, uh, what can I say about Wired? Uh, he's also, well, I can't say enough about uh, Wired, but he's also the author of uh, New York Times bestselling book, The Long Tale, Why the Future of Business is Selling Less of More. Oh, that sounds like a Clear Channel thing, <laughs> which was published in 2006 and runs a blog on the subject at thelongtail.com. Yeah. So we've got the Chris coming up here uh, uh, momentarily. Yeah. Less than momentarily, actually. What do you have there? Well, uh, this is this is very interesting, Ray. Uh, Yahoo has acquired JumpCut, a website that provides online video editing tools. And what's interesting about this, JumpCut provides web users with a free set of tools to manip- manipulate video images. So apparently they're... Uh, Wanting to get into that business. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Of course, financial terms, undisclosed. Yes, right, absolutely. Stay with us. Chris is with us in just a moment on the advertising show. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. It's the weekend. Hot dogs are good, with a whole bunch of good stuff on top. A classic spot from uh, from Armor and uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth here on the Advertising Show. As we talked a little bit about Chris uh, prior to this segment, Chris, uh, the editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine, and also the author of a New York Times bestselling book, The Long Tale, Why the Future of Business is uh, Selling Less of more, uh, published this past year. Also, the blog, uh, thelongtail.com. Hey, Chris, it sure is great to have you on the advertising show. Thanks for taking time out of your weekend. It's a great, it's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, you know, let's get a few little personal uh, items out of the way here, Chris. iPod or Creative? Creative. Yeah, me too. And uh, I like Rhapsody, and, and Rhapsody um, works with doesn't work with the iPod. Right, exactly. And of course, for those that don't know. Creative was first, iPod was second, but there's an example of good marketing and creative. Uh, didn't they sue iPod or, or Apple rather on some? Uh, and 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 won. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah on the user interface. Yeah. Wow. So if you're going to sue someone, Apple's a good shot. You know, don't don't go for the cheap people. <laughs> this week maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, TiVo or uh, digital uh, uh, cable. Um, Windows Media Center. Oh really? Well, that's good. Uh, and I'm with you on that, by the way. And uh, let's see, what else was I going to ask you? Um, well, oh, oh, Xbox wait. Or, or PlayStation? That's uh, the usual one. Xbox or PlayStation? Briefs or boxers, but we're going to get away from that. How about deal or no deal? Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, any questions that, uh, you know, I know you've been uh, on the on the circuit here promoting your book, and uh, I'm curious, any questions? We're going we're gonna to cover some of the fundamentals, because I think it's important to do that uh, about the long tail for those that may not be familiar with it. But before we do that, any questions uh, that you have not been asked that you were hoping and just dying for someone to ask, but for some reason they haven't gotten around to it? Wow. Um, You know, the nice thing about having the blog is that all those little goofy things that didn't really fit in the book fit Mm -hmm. perfectly in the blog. (laughs) You know, all the interesting questions about my punk rock, um, you know, career before... Before I, you know, straightened up and flew right, all right. Uh, they all came out on the blog. So, you know, although although they were, you know, I didn't get a mass, didn't get a mass spontaneously. Enough googling, people figure out who I was, and that was engaging. And you know, it's a great setup for your blog, which is the longtail.com for those that uh, want to go visit uh, and and weigh in on anything regarding. Uh, 
Chris's world and the long tail. For those that aren't familiar with uh, with the article that preceded the book, uh, when did when did the article come out, Chris? The article came out in September 2004, and the book came out in July of this year. Right. And for those that may not be familiar, let's go ahead and get the uh, long tail uh, explanation out of the way. Okay. Well, the the long tail is, is broadly is about life beyond the blockbuster. It's what happens to our culture and our economy as we shift from mass markets to millions of niche markets. And very specifically, the long tail refers to the you know the sort of the long tail of the sales curve. And at this point, you now have to do the awkward thing of explaining a, a, a curve on radio. But um, imagine a ski slope that starts off very high at the left, and that's those are the hits and blockbusters, then falls off rapidly to this long sort of bunny slope that, that bumps along to the right. And, Traditionally, that we hack it off pretty quickly. You know, as soon as as soon as the sales fall below a certain level, they just don't pass the test of shelf space or television channels or radio stations or Hollywood, you know, uh, movie uh, screens. But we, in the last ten years, we've seen the rise of new markets with infinite shelf space. You know, the iTunes, the Amazons, the, the Netflixes. You know, the you know the blogosphere. And and now you don't have to hack off the curve. And for the first time, we can see the whole thing and realize that all those niche niche products and, 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 and customers and, and voices, there's room for them, and in aggregate, they're mounting to um, a big new market and the fastest growing market of all. Yeah, and you know, i got to tell you, if you haven't read the article, Google it, you'll find it. Uh, outstanding uh, place to start, and the book is just a, a further uh, uh, evolution of the, of the idea that was presented in the article. Let's go back to the beginning, Chris. Uh, talk about uh, how you came up with the idea for the long tail. Any aha moment that uh, hit you that had, had the uh, origin of that? Yeah, well, you know, my background, I'm not really, I didn't come from the media world. My, I started as a physicist after, after the straightening up and flying right part. I, yeah, I, I rocked a physicist. Okay, that's, that's a big well, leap. <laughs> that's a right career path. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, 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 it's certainly going in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so I did physics for a while, then I was at The Economist for, for you know, and for a, a long seven years, and then that's when I joined Condé Nast to take over Wired in 2001. And, and what that means is that I'm really drawn to data and, um, you know, sort of numeric analysis. Um, and when I'm often asked to talk about technology trends, I tend to kind of start with data. And it was really in the course of talking to companies, you know, out in the digital media space about their data that, that we came across this, this, this remarkable thing. And I, I started with a digital jukebox company called Ecast. And the digital jukebox is like a regular jukebox with like neon lights and speakers, but instead of having 100 or 200 you know, CDs or vinyl, they have a broadband connection and a hard drive, and they have tens of thousands of tracks. And, and the CEO asked me what percentage of those top 10,000 tracks did I think sold at least once a month. And I, I fell back on what we would all fall back on, which mm -hmm. is the 80-20 rule, which right. states that 20% of things account for 80% of sales. So I assumed that the answer was, well, you know, 20% accounts for virtually everything. And so, you know, I, I should have answered 20%. I thought I should have answered 20%, but I thought, you know, digital's different. Maybe it's more. And I went way out there. I said 50%. Mm -hmm. wow. So 50% would have been 5,000 tracks, so at least once a month, which, you know, when you think of it as a regular jukebox, that's a lot. And the answer, and the answer turned out to be 98%, that I was just way off. Wow. And I went around from company to company, and I realized that all these companies were seeing the same thing, that they, that they would throw out you know, tens or hundreds or thousands of times more product, more variety, more choice than the, than the traditional markets because they had infinite shelf space. And the more they threw out, the more demand they found that, that in, in a sense, there was demand for almost everything out there. Now, not a lot. No single one of those tracks out there in the tail 
sold a lot, but there were so many of them, and they were so cheap to offer, you know, just, just bits in a database, that in aggregate, they were adding up to a market that in many cases was a third or more of the, of the total sales. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, you know, once we plotted it out and then, you know, realized that we were looking at the, we'd been looking at the wrong side of the curve, we'd been looking at the left side where all the hits were and ignoring the right where all the niches were, and once we shifted our gaze to the right, that sort of led to the epiphany, that led to the name, the long tail, which, which by the way, comes out of statistics. Um, and that led to the recognition that, you know, that it was now possible, the economics of digital distribution made it now possible to not focus exclusively on hits and blockbusters and bestsellers, mm-hmm. but instead recognize that there's huge demand for niche products if you can offer them efficiently. It seems weird to, to think that the CEO of Ecast and, and I guess others knew within their own walls that that was going on, but it took you, I guess, to quantify it, huh? Well, you know, it, it's in a funny way. The, the economics of the 21st century are out there in the servers of Google and Yahoo and Netflix and Amazon and, and others. Um, it's just that First of all, they're they they're not shared publicly, so you need to have access to the data, which is hard for people to do. You need to you know, build relationships and, and and work out procedures to get that data without invading privacy. Um, and that you know, typically they're not economists. They're not they're not you know they're looking at, they're looking at the data from their own business purposes and mm-hmm. using it. But to pull back and sort of look at the economics of culture, which is something that you know that Malcolm Gladwell does in the Tipping Point, and you know, I suppose on some level um, you know Levitt and Dubner do in Free Economics, but you know it's not not really any one academic discipline mm-hmm. that kind of is left to, to, to those of us who who straddle disciplines. And you know, Wired is about a magazine about you know technology and culture, the you know how technology changes the world rather than just technology itself. And and my job is to look at the economics of culture. And it's really just being able to kind of straddle those two worlds that w- that I was able to to understand this phenomena mm-hmm. that was already existing in these databases and the and you know the, the the records of these companies and 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 understand it and sort of recognize that it had broad appeal outside the companies that we were really looking at the shape of culture in the next century rather than just this one particular company. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on about a minute left in this segment? What are your thoughts about the uh, term being used more as a metaphor than a statistical construct? And and did you fire your IP attorney? Yet for not trademarking that. Yeah, I did trademark it. Oh, did you? I, I own well, the trademark. Good for you. There, there you go. Um, and the domain. So you're going to um, send us a bill for every time we mention this? Well, you know, <laughs> as you know, trademarks apply to certain business yeah. uses. So, um, you know, the way I feel about it is that, you know, I was stunned. You know, I remember when we first did this that I wanted that I I, I, I titled the original article the long tail, and my you know, my very smart associates here were saying no one's going to get that. It's a term taken from statistics, and I was like, you know, I'm hoping they will. So it was, um, you know, so we did it. Um, it's taken off. Most people get it. Price number of people get it. Mm-hmm. And if a few don't, that's that's fine. They're using the term anyway. It's uh, Chris Anderson, our special guest, editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine and uh, best-selling author of The Long Tail, Why the Future of Business is Selling Less of More. We'll be back with more of the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth here in just a moment. So stay with us. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. This is a dirty commercial. It has dirty mirrors, windows, cabinets, appliances, chrome, plastics, countertops. There's a classic spot from a great guy and a part of The Advertising Show, a guest uh, several times here, Chuck Bloor. 
with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Our special guest this segment is Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine and a best-selling author. The book is called, uh, it's an 06 book called The Long Tail, Why the Future of Business of uh, Selling More, Less of More. Uh, also uh, has a great blog at thelongtail.com. So go for it, Brad. Yeah, Welcome yeah. back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, and by the way, uh, with the title, The Longest, The Long Tail, you know that once you've really made it, uh, a porno film will come out and they'll use the title of your book in some way and it'll, you know that, right, Chris? The, the double entendre <laughs> implications were not, um, unnoticed. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I won't comment any further. Well, but, um, you're if right. they choose to misuse it, I'm happy with, uh, with, with the titillating appeal. Of yes, it as well. and very well said. And we'll just have to check in with Ray since he visits those, uh, those places frequently to Speaking see that when. Your phone is vibrating. <laughs> I'm sorry, there. Ray. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, you, you've uh, you've mentioned that the internet favors infinite niches, and and we all know that. Uh, so so why is the entertainment industry so uh, hesitant about uh, making the shift, and 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 what do you think this is, Chris? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the examples I started with in the book largely came from media and entertainment, and they were the musics and the DVDs and the and, and, and the books, and and you know, it, it applies to us too in the in the traditional media space here at Condé Nast. You know, we. We uh, now we used to compete with other magazines and newspapers. Now we compete with other magazines, newspapers, and 27 million blogs, each of whom can can you know, laser target a niche that we can't you know possibly scale down to. Um, so you know it's been interesting to watch the progression. You know it goes with bandwidth. We you know we in the print media were competing with online you know infinite niche markets in the 90s because you know text doesn't take much much capacity and even on dial-up modems you know you could see an explosion of different sites and you know and the notion of competing with amateurs for the first time happened in the, in, in the 90s and now of course it's been amplified hugely with the blogosphere um, then around 2000 um, you know broadband became popular enough and you had the music industry um, you know start to deal with this kind of competition with Napster and MP3s and then later the whole iPod phenomena so you know so w- we've had 10 years to deal with this the music industry We've had about five years to deal with this. Now, you know, as we speak, with the rise of YouTube, television is now having their, you know, competing with the long tail moment. Mm. And, um, you know, you would, I, I, I wish I could tell you that we in the print business have completely figured out how to compete with an army of amateurs, but we haven't. Um, you know, clearly, they, they can do things we can't do. They can, they can scale down to levels of minority taste in a way that we can't. And the audience is very, very quickly moving to a kind of a mix between amateurs and professionals. Um, but, you know, we can, those tools are available to us, too. So, you know, we now are able to have a more conversational approach with our readers um, on our website in a way we can't in, in the print magazine. The print magazine is the right place for the packaging of big ideas, you know, with photography and high-end design and long-form journalism. And the online side is a good, is a good place for a more sort of two-way dialogue um, with, with blogs and comments and trackbacks and wikis and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the music industry is, is, you know, now after being in denial for a while, is actually starting to get quite good at recognizing the power of digital distribution and, and experimenting with pricing, experimenting with giving away things for free, and experimenting with being able to sign you know, smaller artists for digital distribution, um, you know, many more smaller artists in a way that they used to only be able to sign a few blockbuster potential artists for traditional distribution. Mm-hmm. So I think they've gone through the worst and they're starting to come up with new ideas that actually work where they don't control the, you know, the entire access uh, to, to the channel. Um, television has no idea how to deal with YouTube right now. Um, but there, it is the question of the moment, especially a question for the 30-second ad spot. Mm-hmm. You know, the audience has shifted to you, is shifting to YouTube, but the advertising has not. 
and you know how how television migrates its business model to a long tail environment like YouTube is is really the interesting question at the moment. Well, you know, uh, as I listen to your book, I have it on uh, CD. You describe most of the business opportunities, of course, as you've mentioned today, uh, lie with uh, aggregators and, and those who can basically offer the whole tail. Uh, I'm curious, can one company with the depth of products uh, leverage the long tail theory? One company with a depth of products? Yes. Yeah, well, one of the examples I give later on in, in, in the book is, is, a, is a surprising one. You might not, you know, you might not feel, as a, you might not have assumed as a long-tail example, and that's the case of Lego. Um, so Lego is a traditional you know, product, physical product manufacturer, and they, you know, they sell plastic bricks to kids. Um, and you, know, you think of them as, as, as selling through traditional channels like Toys R Us and, and Target and, and, and Walmart, and they do. But they sell about 70 products, 70 SKUs, through those traditional channels, and that's, that's it's a, you know, a big chunk of their business. But they have 7,000 products on their website. And this range from sort of you know, a single brick to a $300 Death Star model. And you know, recognizing that there is a kind of a, a, a you know, bricks and mortar is the right market for the hit one-size-fits-all products. And then you know, this, this marketplace with unlimited space, their website and their catalog, um, is the right market for a much larger variety of products, that, and including much higher prices. That was, that was an interesting start. Then they took it to the next step, and they realized that their customers, you know, who were their, their most passionate customers, were starting Lego enthusiasts mm-hmm. clubs and, and, you know, brick fests, meetups, and, and, you know, and especially the Lego robotics world, which is mostly adults, and they were willing to spend amazing amounts of time and money on this thing. They then pulled those fans into the process to help design the next level of, of, of Lego robot and, and, you know, to, to bring in their ideas, to ask them their opinion, to use their, you, to use, you know, use their input. And then, and then once that product came out, it was, it was perfectly positioned because the most influential word-of-mouth guys out there, the, the, the most passionate customers, had bought into the product and were ready to promote it themselves for free when it came out. That's, I think, a great example of long-tail marketing. Great example, sure. We've got uh, Chris Anderson, our special guest. Brad, you'll be uh, happy to know that Devo uh, in Wired, they've got it listed as doing a Halloween concert, by the way, in L.A. So we'll be there. We'll be there. Oh, yeah, it's a great band. We've got, uh, Chris, uh, one more segment here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. I love Bosco. It's rich in chocolate tea. Chocolate-flavored Bosco is mighty good for me. Mama puts it in Ray my Shulman's milk. Brad Forsyth here with you, and uh, the book is called The Long Tail, Why the Future of Business is Selling Mo- Less of More. It's our special guest out of San Francisco, Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief also of Wired Magazine. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Yeah, and I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't uh, picked up a copy, uh, please do so. It's a great book, a great read, and uh, it'll it'll broaden your, your mind. Read any good books lately, Chris? Have you read the, uh, uh, I don't know, The World is Flat, for example? Yeah, I, I have. I'm, I, I'm, uh, I know Tom, and I'm a big fan of his thinking. The two are, are very, very kind of complementary. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sort of globalization right. has resulted in a huge increase in variety, both cultural and product, you know, available to all of us. And um, you know, the long tail is is, is part of that. I mean, you think of globalization as being sort of, you know, the long tail of culture. Mm-hmm. So Tom and Tom and I, uh, you know, uh, sort of. Dovetailed neatly in in that in that way. Yes, I, I agree. I, I saw some similarities myself. As you look across the internet, uh, Chris, do, are there any aggregator opportunities that have not been created yet? 
I think there, there, there's loads of them. I mean, yeah. You're right to, to note that most of the business opportunities have been in the aggregators. Now, obviously, you know, let's, the, the other, the, the consu- this is a consumer paradise, I and mean, we've never had more choice than we have today. In some way, it's a producer paradise in that, in that people who didn't have access to the market now do. However, most producers aren't going to do it for money. You know, most bloggers aren't going to make money. Most people uploading videos to YouTube, most people uploading music to MySpace aren't doing it for money. But they can find an audience, and that's, and there's, that's a, a different kind of currency, the currency of reputation. Um, but the money itself is largely in the aggregators. And we've, we, we, right now, we have a small number of aggregators, and many people have noticed this a slight irony that you have a long tail of content but a small, small short head of aggregators. I think it probably is not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot there is our opportunities for niche aggregators. So right now, you know, if you look at a, a, an iTunes, for example, that's a kind of a one-size-fits-all aggregator. It's got a pop music um, presentation model where you basically orient around bands, tracks, you know, label and, and, and album. But for classical music, you want entirely different, you know, presentation. Mm-hmm. You know, there the important things are things like composer, conductor, soloist, lead violin, etc. And for jazz, you might be interested in the individual performers more than the band. And I think there's an opportunity for you know, a classical music service, a jazz service, and, and likewise for, for other sectors. I mean, just look at, at search. We think of Google dominating search, but in fact, there's, a, there's this concept of vertical search. There's image search and music search and map search and blog search, and Google, um, the Google dominates very few of those. Mm-hmm. You know, YouTube has has has, uh, has video and Technorati has blogs and, and so on. So I think in the same way we now see a long tail of search. I suspect we'll see a long tail of other aggregators over time as the marketplace gets more sophisticated. Yeah, and I, I, I frankly am surprised as I just look at my own personal uh, interest across the uh, across the web and do not see aggrega- aggregators in certain categories. It's just surprising to me in 06 to still see opportunities out there. Is the, are social networks the, the long tail for people? I, I think it's, it's interesting. So, um, you know, to, I, I try not to make, you know, although I do have background in physics that I try not to turn this into the grand unified theory of everything. Um, so it's, you know, so what I mean by long tails is, is, is cases. It's a very simple formula. Where the cost of distribution falls, you can offer more products. Mm-hmm. This is massive increase in variety and massive increase in findability with things like search and recommendations that really turn, that really make long tails work. Um, so, so, you know, we've talked a lot about products. Um, you know, Google is the long tail of advertising. It's the long tail of advertiser. And it's the long tail of ad-driven publishers and all those blogs that are running AdSense. Um, so what are social networks? You know, it is, well, MySpace is interesting. MySpace is a social network. Um, and I would call that just, you know, just, just a place, a community. But it's also content. You know, all those pages that the, so that the people are making on MySpace actually count as content. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, they compete with the music magazines and the MTVs of the world and, and, and even radio. So I think there's, an, there's a long-tail element. There is a, there is a marketplace, a diverse marketplace of infinite supply um, in MySpace. Um, but that's created by the community rather than being the community itself. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. You know, authors that are good at what they do and come up with an interesting idea often are uh, uh, later on by the time uh, you follow their career, they pull up a new ch- uh, chapter in their life, and they become what? Consultants. I'm curious. <laughs> Has anyone uh, tried to hire you, Chris, as a consultant? Yes. I, I would imagine like that a lot. Yeah, I would you know, imagine. it's interesting. You know, I, 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 I t- like you mentioned my blog, and my, I'm, really, I'm really happy about my blog because 
Uh, not that I have a huge audience, I don't. Um, but the blog—I wrote the book or researched the book in public on the mm-hmm. blog, and my, you know, a few thousand, you know, passionate readers, you know, helped me make the book better. In mm-hmm. the sense, I beta tested it in public, and I open sourced a lot of the research. So I think that conversation that I had with my readers that made for a better book also helped launch the book. Now, what's interesting about a blog is that, is that I don't. People could say, "Well, how do you make money off your blog? Shouldn't you sell advertising?" I mean, if I did sell advertising, I would make five dollars a week. Yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. But. Um, but when I think about the speaking request and consulting request right. and board seats and friends and family shares, etc., that come off, they, they cut off. I, rege- I reject them all, I hasten to add. But if I did choose to accept them, I think that would be a fantastic brand-building platform. Go get the book. It's called The Long Tail, Why the Future of Business is Selling Less of More. And check, uh, check out Chris's stuff uh, as well in the great magazine called Wired. Chris, it's been fun having you here. Thanks so much for being a part of the advertising show. Thank you. I enjoyed it. We'll be back with more. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. When you say but, you've said a lot of things nobody else can say. It's uh, the advertising show, Ray Shellens, Brad Forsyth, and uh, we haven't had a beer commercial on for a while. Or a beer. Or, yeah, exactly. And uh, although this is not our choice of beer, but uh, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Classic spot. And uh, good talking with Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief of Wired, and uh, his blog and uh, the website is called thelongtail.com, by the way. You know, it's, uh, there's an article that uh, came out of Media Post that says, when it comes to blogs, it pays to listen. That's a good idea. Yeah. This is one of the most effective ways for marketers to engage in the blogosphere is to uh, not force themselves into conversation, but to, sh- to show up, monitor, and listen. So, you know, they're using, they're using the blogs as feedback and right. such. Starbucks, uh, Director of Brand Advertising and Communications, uh, says one of the most potent forms for gleaning insight is through a non-Starbucks authorized blog set up by a baristas for baristas where they talk about their jobs, the company, the products, and the problems. Hmm. And over 50% of our employees are college students, so they, uh, they are in the blogosphere, she says. So uh, says Starbucks uh, also follows the general consumer dialogue on blogs to see how people are talking about the company and whether certain corporate initiatives, such as uh, cause-related marketing, are making it out to the public as hmm. well. So it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful concept. I, it's amazing to me to see how many companies don't do that, though, right. uh, sadly. Well, but, uh, it is. And as you say, that the young kids are working there anyway, so why not? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that doesn't surprise me that they're doing that. You know, if, you, if there's even more proof that uh, mom... Uh, not 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 only her teenage son, but mom is more likely to be the gamer uh, in the family. The new study of, for digital media m- measurement uh, company Comscore uh, apparently sh- is showing that on average gamers are this is surprising 41 years old with an average household income of 55. That's incredible. 55k. Yes, yeah. it is incredible. And what's more, Ray, uh, they are slightly fractionally more women who game than men, which surprised me as well. Females making up 52 percent of the gaming audience and uh, this was based on a survey of 800 respondents. I'm not sure about that sample size, if that's valid. I suppose it is. But uh, from a cross-platform of behaviors and attitudes, also researchers, uh, uh, respondents uh, uh, found that uh, feelings in- on in-game advertising were also uh, positive as well. So uh, it's, uh, that surprised me. Average age, 41 years old. Hmm, that to me seems awfully, about 10 years too far up the scale, hmm. so to speak. Well, at least 10. I would have thought. I would have, you know, yeah. average would have been 25, 28. Yeah, right. Hey, Alan Rosenshine is, uh, what a great name, Alan Rosenshine. Right. 
out of New York. He was the uh, chief executive officer of BBDO in uh, 1985. A year later, he spearheaded what Time magazine called Advertising Big Bang, the creation of uh, Omnicom, and and now the world's biggest and most successful marketing communications company. He's written a book called Funny Business. What a great look. Uh, Moguls, mobsters, megastars, and the mad, mad world of the ad game. of course, he put his title right there, Alan Rosenshine, Chairman, BBDO Worldwide. Yeah. So, but he'll be on the show next week, and we yeah. hope you get a chance to uh, to, to check in with uh, with Alan. Phil, Phil Dusenberry is a guest on the show a few times, and an icon, and then certainly a, a well-known person in the ad in- industry. Mm-hmm. This would be his boss, this oh, guy, boy. this okay. Mr. Rosenshine guy. Well, maybe Alan has some good stories to tell. Oh, I'm okay? sure the ones that uh, the ones that Phil. Couldn't Didn't tell. tell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mai is a regular feature of the uh, advertising show. It's the Marketing Insider. Let's check in with Patrick and take a break here. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. Today, I'm going to send kudos out to Draft Worldwide and their mother agency for having the backbone to do what they did. Recently, the decision was made to fold FCB into Draft Worldwide to create a new entity. But here is the brilliant piece of it that relates to the marketer and where the marketers are going. Clients are demanding integrated ideas, thinking, and support. That plays to the strength of draft, which is likely booming over the last several years as clients move this way. FCB, even though they were a great advertising agency, focused on more traditional advertising. But an interesting phenomenon happening with the agencies and probably FCB as well. First they lost media planning, then they lost media buying, then they lost control of the brand as the steward, then they lost the role of integrator. In many cases, CRM and retail were never with the agencies. So the net net of that is big agencies in many cases are down to just developing campaign ideas. What's brilliant about draft being combined with FCB is horsepower of the creativity of FCB coupled with the integrated thinking and the go-to-market approach to draft. So why should you care? Because it's a harbinger of things to come. Ideas need to be foremost, and then they need to be objectively carried out and executed across all components of the marketing spectrum. So ask yourself, time to rethink your agency approach, or as a client, the resources that you have on your business. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. I'm Patrick Meyer, and remember, the marketing revolution is now. Thank you, Patrick. Always a pleasure to have Patrick Meyer here on the Advertising Show, a regular uh, weekly guest as well. Uh, looking forward to uh, Alan Rosenshine, chairman of BBDO Worldwide, uh, uh, and uh, the new book called Funny Business, Moguls, Mobsters, Megastars, and the Mad Bad World of the Ad Game. This is a great book, and uh, it'll be fun to have uh, Alan on. Tell your friends. By, oh, by the way, uh, regarding the website here at theadvertisingshow.com, it's a, kind of a cool place to visit. Uh, obviously, uh, there's a good chance that you are either here right now or will be here in the near future here as you check out the podcast, the RSS stuff, and a regular subscriber. We have many of those as well. But uh, the advertising show is powered by a, uh, a company called Shipple.com. Shipple is the, the name, S-C-H-I-P-U-L, and uh, the product is Tendency, and what it is, it's one heck of a marketing vehicle. So check it out if you're looking for a website or a little bit more powerful uh, advantage on your website. Uh, that would be a good destination at Shipple. Yeah, from the category, Ray, of sleepless or restless nights, well, Select Comfort has placed its creative portion of their $100 million advertising account in review. Euro RSCG currently handles the account, and Hmm. they will not defend. Oh, really? Yeah. In other words, that's code for to hell with you. Oh. 
The, or, same, the same thing that Fallon did, right? With BMW, BMW yes, exactly. Yes. Well, Fallon heard our show and heard uh, Pat's uh, logic behind that and said, well, hell no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Uh, Pat didn't do it. You know, and, of course, Wyden & Kennedy, a great agency, Miller Brewing Company, has part of company with them, and Crispin Porter, who already handles Miller Lights, is going to be handling Miller High Life. So, I wonder if that's a good idea. I don't you know. know. I, don't, I, I don't think so. I wouldn't think so either. Yeah, keep no. them separate, I would think. I would, absolutely. Yeah. We have uh, lots to uh, to talk about next week, and hope you get a chance to share uh, today's show. Uh, you know, tell, tell your friends about theadvertisingshow.com and uh, come back next if week. If you have any. Well, they probably do. Yeah, that's true. Unless they're lonely and this is the only thing they do on a, on a weekly basis. Well, in that case, come a little closer to the computer. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good idea. Uh, Alan Rosenshine, chairman of uh, BBDO Worldwide. Uh, actually, I was going to say BBDO North America, but it's B- he's got the whole thing. That's right. BBDO, the universe. Funny business, moguls, mobsters, megastars, and the Mad Mad world of the ad game next week on the Advertising Show, being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. And you can visit them online at adage.com. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and this is a Big Radio Midgets production.